We'll take God's word this morning and find the book of Jonah. We're talking about missions. Did you know that Jonah is the only Old Testament book where God specifically sends a prophet to another nation? As a matter of fact, in the early parts of Israel's history, God did not call that nation to go. He actually called them to stay. And he put the nation geographically in the center of the Middle East where the two major highways ran through Israel. And when somebody would go to travel north to Assyria or south down into Egypt, they would have to travel right in through the nation of Israel. So the king's highway and the highway by the sea ran through this land. And God's promises to this nation were very simple, and here's what it is. That land is my land, my eyes on it night and day. I'm calling you to be my people, and I'm placing you right there in the center of that land, and I'm giving you ten commandments. No gods before me. Don't make idols. This is what you're to do. Worship me on the Sabbath. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. You do those ten things. Stay in that land, and when people go through there, they'll say, what kind of a God is this who loves the people so much that he gives them these kind of laws and these kind of statutes, and they reflect who he is? And God told the nation, I'll put you there, you obey these Ten Commandments, and I'll prosper you, I'll bless you, I'll send you rain, I'll water your crops, I'll keep away the enemies, I'll keep away all the bugs, and you will be blessed with blessings. But do you know what the nation of Israel did? They went in there and they could not keep the law. And as they broke God's law, God would send them prophets over and over again, telling them, you're doing this, you're doing that, God's going to judge you. And what would the people do? stone the prophets, run them out of the land. They didn't want to hear from them, and they wanted to set up their own establishment. Well, during the midst of this prosperity, the nation of Israel was prosperous. God unleashed his shocking message on a man named Jonah when he sent this man to the most barbaric territory you could ever have imagined. The only way to compare that today is saying, arise, go to Afghanistan, and preach to ISIS. Now that's about the equivalent of what it was. The, the Assyrian people were cruel, folks. It's, here it is right before lunch. Let me just tell you some of the things they would do. They were known for barbarism. They would actually, when they went in to invade, they would sever people's heads... You ready for this beautiful picture? Stack them outside of a gate in a pyramid-type form and let them decay. And they would do that as a way to tell other people, if you rebel against the Assyrians, this is what's going to happen to you. In addition to that, they would take fence posts, they would call them poles, they would sharpen them on the ends, and they would take their prisoners, and this is what they would call hanging. They would spread their legs... Two soldiers would get on each side and they would center them right over that sharp punji and they would pull them down. And that's how they would let them die. Just nice people, right? Now, you say, good gracious, pastors, you're so brutal. I'm telling you the truth. And do you know what God said? Jonah, get up and go to the Assyrians because I love them. 
And I want you to tell them to repent or I'm going to destroy that whole nation. Now, here's the question. Has God ever told you to do something that you didn't want to do? Has he ever told you to go and do something? Kind of like, forgive this person or show this person my grace. And we say in our heart, over my dead body. You ever been talking to somebody and they say this? I'll never forgive that person. Never. I'd rather die than I... So this is, this is Jonah. And by the way, you ready? Get ready. This is you. And this is me. How do you overcome a selfish, indifferent heart? when we don't want to change and do what God wants us to do. Well, that's what we're going to learn about this morning as we think about Jonah and God. By the way, the book of Jonah is not about a fish. Please. The fish is only mentioned four times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times, and God is mentioned 38 times. This is a book about God and a stubborn believer who didn't want to do what God told him to do. And by the way, you know, we're in missions conference, and this is why I'm preaching on the book of Jonah, trying to prepare our hearts for missions. You say, well, my gracious, what an introduction to missions. What do we mean by that? Well, let me just say it this way so we don't miss it. God wants us to be involved in missions, and that means reaching people that we can't reach on our own, but we can partner with other people that can, and we should give, and we should go, and we should pray. But do you know it's interesting, and I'll plow this field a little bit more later, it's interesting at people who do not want to be involved in missions for various reasons. We've met several Christians down through the years, and some people are just, just absolutely opposed to doing anything outside of their community. And they'll say this, I'm not giving money overseas when we're not doing anything right here at home. Well, they have a point. We must be doing things at home to meet needs here. As the old missionary said, the light that shines the brightest and the furthest shines the brightest at home. You can't pay a missionary to do over in the far lands what we are unwilling to do here at Trinity. That's called sin. We have to be willing to reach our own people and do our own business for God here before we expect to pay somebody and just send them way over there to do what we're afraid to do. But the point is, sometimes people just don't want to do it because they don't see the need. This was Jonah. He ministered time, during a time of prosperity. Stimulus checks? Oh my. I mean, listen. Just give it out. Worker shortage, they didn't care. Just print more money. We'll put it in the deposit. The wicked leaders, by the way, there was a man named Jeroboam who was in the White House during that period. What a wretched, he was a rascal. Listen to me, a rascal. You know, sometimes we think about, oh, well, we got it so bad here, it's so bad. Yeah, it is bad, I agree. But let me tell you something, you need to read some history. Jeroboam II was a rascal. But you know what happened under his ministry? You know what happened? The nation of Israel expanded. Their budget grew. God was blessing and prospering the nation. So you know what they thought? 
Everything's wonderful. Everything's wonderful. And by the way, Jonah, if you go back and read 2 Kings, he was out there preaching, look at the blessings, look at the blessings God's... It's kind of amazing. The only mention we have of Jonah is in 2 Kings 14, 26-28. This is what the text says. The only mention outside this book. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. What, now, hold on. So what that means is God sent a message to Jonah to preach to the wicked nation of Israel under the leadership of Jeroboam that they were going to expand their land and God was going to prosper them. And here's Jonah out in the streets of Israel. Hey, people, thus says the Lord. Jeroboam is going to conquer the land back that was taken from us. We're going to be blessed. We're going to take our land. And he was saying, praise God. And all the people, hey man, you know, you could just hear the chant. He was, a, he was a good news prophet to his own people. Do you know shortly after that, the Lord appears to him and says, Jonah, the word of the Lord, arise. Yes, Lord, more prosperity? More stimulus checks? What do you want me to tell them? I want you to go to Nineveh. Say what? <laughs> and that's about how it went. So, notice what happens. Because of Israel's prosperity, they began to gloat. Now, I'm just helping you here a little bit. This is where the book of Hosea and Amos come into play. Now, if you want to take Jonah here and write right at the top of your Bible, Hosea and Amos... These two prophets came to the northern kingdom, you know, take Israel, cut it right there below the Sea of Galilee, two tribes of the south, ten tribes of the north. Jonah was preaching to the tribes up in the north because they were about ready to be captured by Assyria coming down. God sends them up there and he says, this is what I want you to do. So read Hosea and Amos as we go through this and you'll see exactly what God was telling them. Right in the midst of their prosperity, they were about to be judged. Now, what does he say to Jonah? Well, let's just look at God's word this morning. I'll put it on the screen for you. I hope you bring your Bible, but if you didn't, here it is. Actually, in Hebrew, this is, starts with the word and. You know, English, by the way, do you ever start an English sentence with a conjunction? I'm from West Virginia. I didn't even know what English was till I actually had to take foreign language. When I started taking foreign language, I thought, my gracious, how did I even get into college? You know, but you don't start English with the word and. If you do and you have a good English teacher, they'll send you back a paper with red and say, F. You don't do that. But that's how this Hebrew book started. Kind of like, and, let me tell you about Jonah. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, stop, stop, because you got to see. How did the word of the Lord come to him? Well, see, you have to answer this question. Jonah was a prophet. What happened to Old Testament prophets? Did they just eat a bowl of beans and all of a sudden God appears to them in a dream? And, you know, oh, I have indigestion. And did, did they hear it from their ear? Hey, Jonah. Well, if you actually study the Old Testament, Old Testament prophets were actually taken up into the presence of God's council chamber and they were given a message. You can write down Jeremiah 23, Isaiah chapter 6. 
There's other places in Zephaniah and Zechariah. These prophets were taken up in the Spirit, up into God's presence, if you want to put it that way. And this is what they were told. You are to go and speak for us. This is how prophets were distinguished from others who stood up in the Old Testament and said, here's what God says. Jeremiah said, oh, wait a minute. I know what they're telling you, but they didn't stand in God's counsel. I did. I heard his word. Isaiah heard his word. Jeremiah, Jonah was taken up and he heard the word of the Lord. And this is what God said to him. Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. That great city. And here's what you're to do. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, what I told you about this wicked nation, that was evil in God's eyes. And guess what he was fixing to do? He was fixing to lower the boom on it. Now, Jonah had several reasons that he didn't want to go. And I'm going to turn there right now, lest I ruin it. In chapter 4, verse 2, I'm not putting it on the screen, I'm going to read it to you. You know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Here's why he didn't want to go. Chapter 4, verse 1, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Lord, the reason I didn't want to go and preach to Nineveh and tell them about their great wickedness is because I knew you would forgive them. And I wanted to see them burn. Now, Christian, listen to me this morning. You and I are living in a time like no other. You and I have things that are being crammed down our throat all the way up to the top of our heads. Where do you want me to start? Where do you want me to start? LGBT movement? Racial tension? Everything you want to talk about? All, everything is just... And we sit here and we see all this stuff. And what do we do as Christians? We say, well, I'll tell you what. Just let them go. Let them go. Let them just pile it up and let God judge them. Is that what we're supposed to be saying? You know what God told Jonah? Whether they like it or not, you're to go to that nation and tell them they're evil. Because it has come up before me and it is great. Don't you stop speaking against sin. You know what Christians are saying today? Now, let me, let me just tell you something here in America, okay? I'm, I'm going to make this as relevant as I can. We can't expect people overseas to do what we're unwilling to do right here at home. And I'm going to tell you something. We're living in a culture. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. You speak for God in this culture, it's going to cost you. But I want to tell you something. It is still the Christian's responsibility to point out what God says is evil. And you and I will never want to stand before Almighty God because we were afraid of men. And because we were so afraid that God couldn't provide for our physical needs and our creaturely comfort that we would just bow and burn. What, do you, what should I say that's going to please everybody? Oh, let me make sure it's politically correct and everything's in line. And I, oh, because if I don't, they'll have me out on a pole. And you know what? They might. 
Cancel culture is real. And they're in your back door. But let me tell you something. That does not excuse God's people from calling evil, evil, and good, good. And when you reverse those two and call good, evil, and evil, good, that does not please the Lord. Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, call out against that great city for their evil has come up before me. Now I need to point this out because it's right there in the text. Their evil has come up before me. God says, I see everything they do. I see it. He sees the pride marches. Okay, listen, he sees them. And by the way, let me just get this out here in the open. We have family that watch my sermons all the time. I, I know this. We have people in our family who are in the LGBT circle movement. Okay? Listen to me. Listen closely. And if you're watching this morning, we love you. We love you. We know things happen in life. Sometimes it's abuse. Sometimes it's uh, things about a father, bad relationships. You could just go right down the list and name it. There are reasons for sexuality and perversion in sexuality. I'll just leave it right there. There are reasons if we know the circumstances. But let me say this. We are, we are never going to say that we approve of that. We're just not. And here's the reason why. Because God doesn't. And we can't endorse what God says is evil and sin. We still love the person. We still care about people. They're made in God's image. But listen closely. God says that's evil. And he will judge it. Hebrews chapter 12, what does he say? The sexually immoral and whoremongers, fornicators, all idolaters. So the Lord will judge. Now how did you get around that? Their evil has come up before me. I'm going to tell you something else that's evil. And that is this concept that because of a certain color of skin makes this person evil. And I say this whether you're white, black, or green. Don't you ever apologize for your color. Never! Because Almighty God made you just exactly the way that you are to be the person you are and don't you ever apologize about it. Because that was not your choice what color you are. And it also wasn't your choice whether you were born with a mother and a father that were married or not. You are not a one-night stand. You are a person made in the image of God, and if God let you come into this earth, He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And the person and the persons responsible for trying to shame you out of that will answer for it. And I'm telling you, it's evil, and God sees it. So, Let's just hold on here for a minute, folks. God sees all the evil. The, the millions of abortions, thousands and thousands, God sees everyone because every soul of every child that's slaughtered in the womb comes up into God's presence every day. And you know, I know abortion's terrible and I know we should do everything we can to stop it and we should never say that it's just another thing, you know, and it's just what our culture accepts. No, it's wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong. And every Christian should stand against it. I mean, we've lost ground in that. 
Politicians don't want to stand up and say, you know what, I'm, a, I'm against abortion. You know why? Because they're afraid they won't get votes. Say it. Grow a backbone. People don't want to vote for you. They're not going to vote for you anyway. But that's a politician. You know, politics. Many bloodsuckers. You know how that goes? <laughs> that's just what they are. That's, that's their game. It's, it's like a common preacher said. He said, you know, he's like the politician stood up and said, you know, am I being, am I being too clear? Because uh, I don't want to be uh, understood actually in the midst of my words. And that's what politicians do. They don't want to be clear. They just muddle things up. We want to be clear. There is evil, and God tells us to call out against the evil. Verse 2, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now I'm going to talk about this phrase, from the presence of the Lord, because I, I went commentary hunting this week. Now, this is what I, you hear preached all the time. Well, Joseph, uh, Jonah was geographically trying to run from God. Now, folks, listen to me. Jonah was, he was trained in Bible college. He was an Israeli prophet. He knew that you couldn't run from God. What does this phrase mean that Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord? You know what that means? He knew he couldn't escape God's omniscience. But he was resigning the ministry. You know what, God? Here it is. God, I'll be a prophet as long as you let me do what I want to do, preach where I want to preach, and say what I want to say. But God, the minute you tell me to do what I don't want to do, and go where I don't want to go, and say what I don't want to say, I quit. And this is exactly what he did. He pouted. Oh, he pouted. And you know what he did? He ran in the opposite direction. God said, Jonah, go to Tarshish. And Jonah, uh, go to Nineveh. Jonah went to Tarshish. Exactly the opposite way. It's like the mother that, you know, saw the little kid running around the house. It was a neighbor. She was watching out the window. Y'all know how nosy neighbors are. Watching the kid just kept circling the house. She came outside. She said, Johnny, what are you doing? He says, I'm running away from my mom. She said, well, you've circled my house three times. He said, yeah, I know, but she won't let me cross the road. Yeah, that's, that's how Jonah felt about God, right? He, he's, he just, I'm just going to quit. I can't get away from you, God, but I'm just going to keep running. And that's what he did. I quit. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Two times he said that, away from the presence of the Lord. God, I quit. Now, by the way, isn't this interesting? A ship didn't run to Tarshish but once a year. You know how long it took them to get there? It, it wasn't the Caribbean cruise, by the way. It took them a year. A year! Jonah was willing to pay for a one-year fare on a ship. That's a lot of money, by the way. And he was willing to take off and leave his family and everybody else for a whole year, go to Tarshish. He was not coming back. This is how this guy started pouting. You all know people that pout like that. Y'all don't do that, do you? Just say no, I don't, we don't. He was mad at God and he was on the run. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Can't you see this little old speck floating out in the middle of that sea? And Jonah saying, I'll tell you what, God, I quit as a prophet. I'm not doing a thing. And he gets on this ship and here's 
Almighty God in third heaven sees this little speck of sand down on the ship. He's getting in there. Can't you imagine? Do y'all ever think like this? And God goes, look at that stubborn little boy running from Doesn't want to do what I tell tell him to do. You know, this is one of the greatest lessons of being a parent is watching your children, especially when they stub up. You know, used to I would say, my gracious, look what they got from their mother. (laughs) But the longer I live, this is what I say. This is my heart coming out in my child. You know, theologically, men, the sin nature is not passed through the woman. It's passed through the man. Sorry, guys. Now, the wife contributes, so don't let her get off. She contributes. But we are the ones who pass that. We see our our children in our own life, their lies, their, their craftiness, their sneakiness, their rebellion. When you see that in your child, don't sit there and point, you know, that, that came from us. Now, there comes a place where a child makes their own, own decision. They go their own way, but I'm telling you that the seed nature of that comes right from you. And here God sees his child, Jonah, running away and... What does God do? Well, just let him have his way. Is that what God does? No. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. In Hebrew, you can see the ship talking here. It's, it's going, I'm, I'm going to bust. <laughs> it was a big storm. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. You know, boy, if if we wanted to prove the will of God here for Jonah's life, look what we could say. It must have been God's will for Jonah to run away because, number one, he had peace about it. He had peace. Number two, God provided the resources for him to take a whole year's trip and go all the way to Tarshish. God must have been in that because he blessed him. And just at the right time, there was the sea ship in the port and they had one open spot for Jonah. See, it was God's will. All the circumstances lined up. And when the circumstances line up and when you have peace about it, it has to be God's will. Listen to me. Listen closely. God's will is never against God's word. Never. I don't care how you feel. I don't care how your grandma feels about it. God's will never goes against God's word. And you can have all the peace you want, and you can even lay down in the middle of a storm and sleep. And that doesn't make it God's will. But Jonah fell asleep. He was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Samaria, so you get up here and grab a rope. Help us do something. Arise. By the way, isn't this interesting? What did God tell Jonah to do? Arise. Now, what's the captain? He's going to repeat the same thing that God said. Get up. Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
Well, the reason they were about to perish is because the God had given a thought and he had given a great wind and he was causing a great storm because he had a great rebellious prophet. Tarshish, see the place I circled? Right there is the area of Jonah's home. He was to go up to Nineveh near Assyria. He went the opposite direction. And there you can see where Syria is all the way on the coast of Spain. I'm sorry, Tarshish, all the way on the coast of Spain. They had to make four or five stops before they got over there. The point is, Jonah was rebellious. By the way, this is today's modern definition of rebellion. An act of violent or open resistance to an established government or ruler. In the Old Testament, rebellion is saying no to God. Not obeying, doing what God says not to do or not doing what God says to do. First Samuel chapter 12, God told King Saul, do what? Kill every one of the Ammonites' livestock and them. You are to commit them to total destruction and get rid of them. What did Saul do? He kept the great big Angus heifers for himself, kept the, the sheep, and he said, you know what? I think I'll just keep them. The Lord would want us to have that. And when Samuel walked back out, he heard the bleeding of the sheep. I need to preach on that sometime. And he said, what's that I hear? The bleeding of the sheep. And Saul said, well, we kept the best. And Samuel stuck his finger right up in Saul's nose and says, do you not know that to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen to the word of God than the word of man? And then he tells him, Rebellion is as witchcraft. And Jonah was rebelling against God. God said go. He said no. Now what happens? We turn back to the story. They said to one another, this is the mariners who were on the ship, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Isn't that interesting? Look at all the things that are working out here in the providence. You have a ship. You have a wind. Now you have some lots. In a few moments, you're going to have a fish. Then you're going to have what else? You all, did you all read, Jonah? Did you all read the newsletter? Y'all had a heads up on this. He's going to do what? He's going to have a plant. He's going to have a worm. God, God is intervening all kinds of things in history here to work in Jonah's life. Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Look what they said. What do you do for a living? Where do you come from? Where is your country? And what people are you from? First thing they want to know, what do you do, by the way? What does Jonah do? Whatever preacher does nowadays. What do you do for a living? Oh, uh, uh, I do this. Uh, we don't want to tell people. You say, well, we can't believe you don't want to tell people you're a pastor. You know what? You ask Brian if the same experience happens to him. When you tell people you're a pastor, you should hear some of the stories that people tell you. Say, so, well, you know what? I, I'd never buy anything off a pastor, and I certainly wouldn't sell it to them. They don't pay their bills. They beat you, beat you down. They do this. They do that. Sh shame on pastors that do that. 
What do you do for a living? What does Jonah say? I'm a Hebrew. He skipped the part that I'm a prophet. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Can't you see him out there bouncing around? <laughs> I mean, you've got to envision this. I know this God and I fear him. And all these mariners are going, we do too, sleeper. Why'd this lot fall on you? Watch what he says. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? Isn't this amazing? You mean to tell us you quit on God? God told you to do something and you told him no? And got on my ship? Oh, can't you see? So what do they do? The men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. I'm running. I quit. I don't want anything else to do with him. Then they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea might quiet down? What do you think Jonah said? And here's why they said this, because the sea grew more and more temptuous. Y'all know what it's like to be on a sea, and boy, I mean us waves start coming, and these mariners knew that they were ready for death. Jonah says this. What does he say? You all gather around, let me pray. I'll pray for you and pray for them and turn this ship around and take me back. Is that what he said? Listen to this man's heart. Just kill me. Pick me up and throw me in the sea. You know, by the way, the word hurl here is a play on just a few verses earlier. God hurled a great tempest on the sea and Jonah says, now you hurl me out in the sea for what God hurled and I'll just hurl down. And I'll die. The sea will calm down. I don't have to listen to God. People in Nineveh can die. Everything will be lovely. You're talking about a self-indifferent heart. Folks, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this morning, listen to me, the human heart is the scariest thing you ever look into. Scary. I mean, we can be so stubborn. We can be so rebellious. We can be so selfish and so hard-headed. How can God love people like us? Well, He can. He can. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon us. I'm the reason for the storm. Nevertheless, notice this. this there's irony here, folks. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he wanted them to die. The sailors don't want to throw Jonah into the water because they don't want him to die. Jonah wanted Nineveh to die. The sailors don't want Jonah to die. So what do they do? They don't throw him in the sea. They start rowing. Now, this is a picture of humanity fighting against God. Here's a little old boat out in the middle of a great big sea and they pick up their oar. And they're going to push through this storm. Now, that's about as foolish as somebody trying to fight against God. So they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. You know why? Because they're not going to win. You don't fight against God and win. For the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore, what did they do? They just stopped rowing and started praying. Now, notice what happens. They pray out to the L-O-R-D. That is the word in Hebrew for Yahweh. They prayed out to Jonah's God. And they said, 
Jonah's God, let us not perish for this man's life, and please don't lay on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. We believe you, the one Jonah's running from. They were more concerned about innocent blood than a Hebrew prophet was. Now, let me tell you something, folks. There are a lot of people in society who are worried about more things that are right sometimes than Christians are. Did you hear me? We sit back on our couches and we watch Braves baseball and watch them win. We watch our favorite college team win. We watch all of our sports. We're entertained to death. And we don't do one thing to make a difference in the world. We just sit back and enjoy our prosperity, become keyboard warriors every now and then, and nothing else. That's it. And sometimes we let people put us to shame for doing good. And here were these men. Don't lay innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And they wanted to know this God. So they picked up Jonah, and what did they do? Here's our word again. They hurled him. God hurled a storm. Jonah says, hurl me. They didn't want to. Now they hurl him right into the sea. And guess what happened? The sea stopped raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And guess what else they did? They offered a sacrifice to the Lord Yahweh and made vows. Here's what they said. Lord, we know you're the Lord of the heaven and the, and the sea. We know this storm was of you. We know this man ran from you. We threw him in and prayed that you wouldn't charge us with his murder. We threw him in. You calmed the storm. Now we're going to offer a sacrifice because you're the God we want to know. We know you're the God. You know, this is a, just a supposition here. I think we'll see these mariners in heaven because they responded to the light that they knew. And by the way, you know, when you get a bunch of Navy people to bow the knee and trust Jesus as Savior, that's quite an accomplishment. Mariners back in those days were rough. They bowed the knee. And the Lord, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice, made vows, and the Lord appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah. You ought to circle that word appointed. Look at that through the rest of Jonah. We're going to have some fun here. He appoints a worm. He appoints a wind. God, God's all kinds of sovereign here. I mean, he's just all into it. Jonah's not going to run anywhere from God. The Lord appoints a great fish to f- swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. By the way, I'm going to show you a video next week. Did you know a guy was swallowed by a big whale in Massachusetts just this past year? Swallowed the man, took him down under the water, and spit him right back out. Now, I'm, I'm not even going to try to prove Jonah was swallowed by a fish. I'm just going to read you the text. But after he was swallowed by a fish... Then Jonah prayed. He prayed. You know, when you get thrown over a ship, sometimes that'll make you pray, won't it? What is the message of Jonah? Here's three quick things. First of all, God's compassion and mercy. He has compassion on other nations, the Assyrians, the sailors. God even has compassion on cattle. Did you know that? Look over to the last verse in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah 4.11 Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons 
who do not know their right hand from their left, spiritually speaking. They are so ignorant of me, Jonah. Should I not have pity on them? They don't even know what a Bible is. They don't know what gospel is. They don't know what God is. They've never heard of Old Testament, New Testament, sacrificial lamb, blood sacrifice, redemption. They don't have a clue. Are you, are you hearing me? You and I live in a biblically illiterate society today. Folks, people don't know anything about God except they don't want to be anywhere around a Christian. By the way, a young Virginia Tech girl messaged a while back and said, I'm doing this study for my, some kind of a class she had, and we want to know, why do you do this in your church? Will you answer me? So I just sat down and took time. I'm going to write her out. She says, the only person I'll read this to is my professor. I said, all righty. So I sat down and just basically painted the picture. Our society today thinks that Christians are this and this. The reason we offer these types of ministries is we want people to know that we are broken people reaching out in humility knowing the same thing could be our case with a message of the grace of Almighty God that He loves people and their brokenness and where they are even in the depths of their sin and He offers compassion and grace to them in the person of Jesus Christ so that He can forgive them of their sins and come into their life and use them to reach other people for Him. And this is why we do this. And then I said, come see us. Give it to your professor. Come see us. Read that. We're broken people with a message of grace from God to share hope and truth. And God is compassionate. He's mercy, merciful. And He wanted to do this through Jonah, His prophet. And what did Jonah say? Hmm, not going to do it, God. I mean, I'll show compassion to people that I want to show it to, but I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to do it to them. They can burn. Should I not have mercy on these people who, spiritually speaking, don't know their left hand from their right? Notice this, and also much cattle. You don't think God cares about cattle? Now, thank goodness he didn't say anything about goats in here. Just cattle. This is also God's rebuke to the nation of Israel. They were supposed to be a light to other nations. And what were they? Running from the light. And it also explains God's sovereign control. And by the way, here's the point. You can't escape God. You're not going to escape Him. You know, people tell me all the time, well, I hate such and such left because they just rejected Christ and they're, they're, not, they're not going to accept Him. You know what I tell them? I just smile and I say, you know what? Listen here. If God's after Him, He won't get away. Well, what if He keeps... Listen to me closely. If God's after Him, He won't get away. Oh, no. God can break Him. God can break Him, folks. I mean, if you don't think that God can break the will of some stubborn little human, you don't know God. You do not know Him. Now, that doesn't mean God may not let them go on in their way, but if you think that Almighty God is subject to a person's rebellion and indifference 
And God can't... No, no, no. Wrong picture of God. Go back and read the Bible. God has a way. And He can. And He will. So Jonah left the Word of God. Get up and go. And he did. He, get up, he got up and went. And then he acted in direct disobedience. He rose to flee. Here's just some stuff I'm not going to go through that we'll get it. Here's some lessons for our life. Three lessons. You ready? Here they go. Quick. Because the chicken's burning, right? Number one, when we disobey God's will for our lives, we always go down. Jonah went down to the ship. He went down and paid the fare. He went down in the bottom. And guess what? He went down in the sea. And when God tells us to do one thing and we do another and run from it, I don't care what is happening, you're always going down. When God says what's right and what pleases Him and we choose what we like in our way, you're not running to God, friend. You're running away from God and you're always going down. Number two, the second lesson, it's possible to be out of the will of God and still have circumstances appear to be working on your behalf. The seafare, the ship in just the right time, the peace that Jonah had to fall asleep in the middle of a storm, blah, 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 we go on down the list. But once again, the point, and this should have been my lesson, that the will of God never contradicts the word of God. I'd already put the PowerPoint in stone, by the way, so, you know. The will of God will never contradict the word of God. But it goes right along with this point number two. It's just not going to happen. And I could go down through all kinds of things in life here. But you get the point, right? What's the third lesson? It's a big one. You can't outrun God. You can't. You won't. Things happen in life. We don't like how it turns out. What do we do? We decide, you know what, God? We quit. We quit. You let this happen to me? How dare you, God? Listen to this reasoning. If God is good, and I'm doing what God wants me to do, and God lets this happen, God can't be good. That's bad logic. Bad logic. If here are people, and they're doing what God says is not good, and God wants me to go to them, that's not good. Bad. When God tells us to do something, we need to do it. You can't outrun God. God will not let you quit. Now I want you to notice something. I should have put lesson number four up, but here it is. You may quit on God, but God never quits on you. Jonah was done. God wasn't. He wasn't. So what do we need to do with God today? You quit on Him? You're running from Him? You think He can't do what He says He'll do? Maybe we need to get on our knees and say, God, change my heart. Help me do what you want me to do. Because you're God and I'm not. And I'm willing to surrender. You ready to do that today? Father, thank you this morning for your word. What a piercing challenge it is to our hearts. 
it reveals the scary side of humanity. Father, we learned that you love people that sometimes we don't. We learned that you tell us to do things that sometimes we're unwilling. And you have compassion toward people that we don't. Thank you, Lord, for being who you are. Because there was a time in each of our lives when I'm sure people didn't want to have compassion on us. But thank you, Lord, you didn't quit. And then, Father, we think about getting mad at you and wanting to quit when life goes crazy. We all have problems in life. And sometimes we get to the breaking point, Lord, and we just feel like it'd be easier to run to Tarshish than it would be to go to Nineveh. And we step out of your will for our life. But, oh God, thank you that you're the God of the storm. You bring things into our life to get our attention. And you never, never quit. And Father, there may be people listening online or maybe here in person this morning that are ready to quit. May your Spirit work in their heart and life to help them understand that you are the God who stays. Give them the energy, the tenacity, the conviction, the compassion to hang in there and to do what you want them to do. And maybe that's just wait. But we pray that you'll give them the grace that they need to do what your will is for their life. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.